Hello and welcome to the Future of Work Hub's In Conversation With podcast. I'm Lucy Lewis, a partner in Lewis Silkin's employment team. And in this podcast series, I'll be hosting exclusive discussions with innovators, business leaders and thought leaders to explore their perspective on what the future of work holds. The pandemic has accelerated longer term societal, economic and technological trends, giving us a unique opportunity, a once in a generation challenge to rethink who, how, what and where we work. And today we'll be focusing on the where we work, the really hot topic of the moment, by talking about the future of the office and our workspaces. And I'm delighted to introduce our guest speaker today, Neil Usher. I know from being involved in previous Future of Work events that Neil is quite simply one of the best people we could have to lead us through a discussion on the opportunities and constraints ahead of us when we consider the future of our workspaces. Neil has been in the workplace industry as a property workplace and change leader for 30 years. He has a really impressive CV, including time as workplace director for Sky, Rio Tinto and Warner Brothers. He's now a consultant, a brilliant blogger, author of two books and chief workplace and change strategist for GoSpace AI. Hi, great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So we're going to start with the pandemic, the thing on everybody's lips. But actually, the office has always been quite a hot topic when it comes to the future of work. We've tended to focus on things more like occupancy, desk utilisation, property prices. We spent quite a lot of time talking about co-working spaces. But it seems that the pandemic has shifted that conversation. And now we're asking, well, what is the very purpose of the office? I wonder what your thoughts are on the impact of the pandemic, how it's making us rethink office space. I think you're very much right when you say we we focus on it quite a bit. Um, last sort of 12 months or so, I don't think we've ever seen as much sort of online content about the, the, the future of the office, what it means for us, what its purpose is. Um, I think we do that because it's tangible. You know, we can see it, feel it, touch it, smell it. It's very much sort of part of our working lives. But I do think in the last year, we've probably spent you know, too much time thinking about the physical space and and not enough time thinking about the cultural drivers for, for how we might use it. Um, I think it's important to remember that in the last 12 months as well, we've gone from one safe harbour with, with everyone in the office, or at least theoretically everyone in the office, as a, a, that, that'll crop up again in this discussion, but to another safe harbour with everyone out of the office and at home. And much of the talk now is about a sort of a blend or a mix of the two, this idea of hybrid um, which actually isn't a safe harbour. There's, there's no case studies. There, there are, there's no best practice or even good practice that we can draw on to understand this. Um, so I think that you know, it's really important to understand as well that it's a hybrid organisation that creates hybrid working, which necessitates a hybrid workplace. doesn't work the other way around. The physical workplace is actually quite a long way downstream in our thinking and it's really important to understand the, the organisation itself and, and what sort of reinvention is needed for the organisation rather than just focusing purely on the workplace. Because changing the workplace or the time we actually spend in that workplace it is not going to create that, that sort of you know, reinvented culture for the organisation. 
Thanks. I really like the idea of thinking about it in the context of cultural drivers. And it brings to mind one of the things that I've been thinking about in the context of the purpose of the office. And that's how aligned actually are employers and employees when it comes to the purpose of the office. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there is alignment? Um, it's, it's interesting, actually. I think this is probably the first time in the whole time that I've been in the workplace and property sector that I'm seeing that the sort of organisations who've always wanted their people to work together more, to collaborate more, I think for the first time, employees are understanding that this is the aspect of working together that they've missed. I think probably the opportunity here really is the fact that at this moment in time, everybody is seeing the value of, of collaboration and working together. And that's not an opportunity we can we can lose sight of. I do think there's a little bit of a disconnect in that employers would quite like to see a bit more of their people and employees would probably like to see a bit less of their bosses. Um, so there is a little bit of a sort of divergence there. But but as I say, the, the exciting and the, the interesting sort of part of all of this really is a, a huge focus on the value and the benefit of working together. Because at the end of the day, you know, nobody works alone. Even if those ties are weak, we all work with other people within our organisations. Even if we're freelance, we work with people within organisations. We're not just, we're not sort of, you know, inventing, creating, delivering and, and getting paid completely in isolation of other people. So the focus on working together, I think, is something that's going to need to come out of this pandemic. Because most of the last 12 months, we've been focusing on individuals. We've been asking individuals what they want. It's all been about the individual needs, individual requirements. I want to choose when, where and how I work. Um, I want some flexibility, some autonomy, some control. Um, but actually what we're going to start to realise as the pandemic recedes and people start to emerge again is, is the realisation actually that we've hugely missed our colleagues and we want to be working with them. So there's going to be a lot more focus on team interaction than there perhaps has been while everybody has been in their sort of safe harbour of, of their homes. That's really interesting, and particularly this idea of individualism and moving away from individualism. It's relevant to something I wanted to ask you about, and that's sustainability and using office space responsibly. As you know, we've seen the ESG gender really grow during the pandemic, and, and that's also altered thinking on sustainability. We know that lots of employers talk the talk about being green and we've seen lots of environmental initiatives like disposable coffee cups or printing less documents. But actually, the workplace environment is a really big part of how we make ourselves more sustainable. What, what do you think are the bigger organisational issues when it comes to the sustainability of the workplace? Well, I, I should say I think it's vital we take a, a triple bottom line approach um, for those not aware of what that means, it means focusing on the needs of people, on the needs of the organisation and on the needs of the planet. Um, what's interesting is when we, when we focus on one of those in particular, there are very often negative connotations for the others. So achieving a balance between those three is an incredibly difficult thing to, to do. Um, and that will, that will sort of cover effectively every decision we have to make going forward is that it is. There's been a huge focus in the last 12 months on the needs of people, very little focus on the needs of organisation, some focus on the needs of the planet. But while we've not been in those city centres and those urban environments and in our offices, 
Um, you know, the climate emergency has taken a little bit of a back seat while we'll deal, deal with the, the immediate problem being the pandemic, but it, it's going to come again and it's going to come again like it's never been with us before. Um, but I think then when it comes to the idea of place, um, and strike me down for using the expression, but I think we have to take a holistic view. Um, this is the first opportunity I think we've ever really had to consider the workplace in the entire urban environment. Um, I think you know, we, we've usually looked at the workplace in isolation. You know, everything that's beyond the revolving door is, is in our scope. But what happens outside of that, and you know, what happens sort of um, you know landside really is, is is someone else's concern. But we're looking now at not just how we work, but how we live, how we relax, how we travel. Um, we're actually looking at the the effect of the pandemic on the whole urban environment, all of our city centres. And, and coming out of this pandemic and solving these issues has to be something where we not just consider the triple bottom line, but we have another layer of consideration here, which is what do the solutions we're looking at in respect of the workplace, what sort of effect do they have on the urban environment? That's fascinating, Neil, particularly considering the urban environment. Do you think that means that we need our workspaces to be more integrated with the urban environment, more multifunctional? I don't think we've ever really taken a sort of broad urban view of the workplace. If we think about how we build workplaces, where we site them, they're usually in a city centre. Um, you know, what happens through the revolving door is very rarely integrated with the environment in which it sits. To a degree with the larger workspaces, we've almost created cities within cities in the last uh, decade or so. Um, so I think what we have to do is consider the recovery of our cities and the recovery of our transport networks and the, the sort of reinvention of our workplaces simultaneously. I think it's a really sort of interesting opportunity we have ahead of us to consider the entire urban environment from how we live, relax, how we work, how we travel. Um, you know, an example being really that a lot of workplaces now have a huge number of amenities and services within them because we expected that people would be there five days a week, you know, nine, ten hours a day. So we had to provide for all of this. But actually, if workplaces are more targeted and more focused on particular range of activities related to work, so a narrower range of higher quality amenities and services purely related to work, we can actually let the urban environment provide all of those other services sort of eating and drinking and health gyms, those sorts of things, um, and sort of relaxation, that can all be provided by the urban infrastructure. It doesn't have to all be provided within a workplace. If we're actually looking at people attending at different times, then, then our travel networks are going to benefit because people will be commuting not just for an hour, hour and a half at a sort of restricted um, sort of bandwidth at the beginning and the end of the day, but they'll be traveling through the day as well. So I think there's a massive opportunity now to consider the workplace in the broader urban environment because realistically it all has to recover together can't just focus on the workplace we have to consider it all and when we start to think about the recovery and we're you know we're in that moment there'll be plenty of people i know that are listening that are starting to think well as restrictions lift and as we get back to the workplace what are the things that i can be doing in the immediate time with the workspace I've got, you know, lots of those people will be committed to um, a lease or the footprint and um, the pandemic will mean they don't have a huge budget to transform their workspace. What are the sorts of things that they can be thinking about doing? That's a really interesting point is that everyone will be returning to the place they left. Virtually nobody has sort of stripped it out, started again. You know, very few people will be coming back into something new that meets a lot of the 
sort of descriptions that people have been giving of the workplace of the future. Um, I've visited a, a building recently, I should say, under sort of complete, um, you know, sort of uh, socially distanced arrangements. But um, it was like it was like it just been abandoned. You know, the, the, it, it was frozen in time. The work that was ongoing was frozen in time. People had sort of literally left the building, hadn't thought that they wouldn't be coming back the next day. And it was just pretty much as it was left. That's the sort of environment we'll be coming back to. So it's familiar. You know, we'll remind ourselves of where everything was, where our colleagues usually work. Um, and so a lot of the changes that need to take place for organisations will have to take place over a period of time after we've started returning, which means we have to have an experimental mindset. Um, I talk in the first book I wrote about the workplace being in a state of perpetual beta. And beta involves um, the workplace never actually being finished. So it's always in a state of experimentation, evolution, development. But a critical part of that as well is having a, a, an effective feedback loop. Um, and when software is developed, when software is in a, in a state of beta, it's important to get the experience uh, of those who are using that in order to, to continue to evolve it, to, to meet the needs of the consumer of that software. And that's what the workplace is going to have to do. And actually, that's not necessarily the way our industry is set up. Our industry is set up much more for larger scale interventions, but actually for those occupying space, they're going to need to try and solve this on a, on, on a very small basis first. Now, the technology that I work with, GoSpace AI, can, can use an artificial intelligence engine to start solving complex problems and, and, and creating actionable allocation scenarios for workspace. But if we try to do this manually, just to get a sense of how complex this is, if we just think about you know, 12 people working in three teams in some workspace and we try and look at scheduling that space for those people on a, on a restricted attendance basis over the space of a couple of weeks and we start to think about just how many permutations there are of that and just how that can work in order to actually get beneficial use out of that space for five days of the week not just Tuesday, Wednesday, because that's one of the issues we're potentially facing is when people think of only coming into the office two or three days a week, most people are thinking middle of the week. They're not thinking, yeah, I'll come in on Monday and Friday. You know, So there, there are some issues that we have to resolve in that sense. But if we think about even trying to solve it for 12 people, three teams and get that right, imagine trying to do that at 100 times the magnitude and actually consider how complex that can actually be. So it's really important to, to experiment, to start small, to understand how that works, to test some of those scenarios, to, to think more deeply about the challenges we're facing, because it's not all just upside. If we think about things like childcare, you know, we can't say to child carers, look, you know, I might, I might need you Tuesday and Wednesday next week, and then after that, I might need you Monday and Thursday. We can't plan our lives like that. All of the other things around us work to a schedule. If suddenly we're freed from our schedules, the rest of the world is not going to work the way we work. We're going to still going to have to think about the regularity of the rest of the world as it sort of, in a fairly clockwork fashion, just sort of ticks on. So experimentation, starting small, learning, getting more deeply into the challenges we're facing, thinking about how it impacts our people, thinking how it impacts organisations and its you know, broader sustainable considerations and how it fits into that urban environment. And I think we'll be, we'll be working towards a, you know, a, a solution. 
It's interesting, particularly picking up on technology, because I think there is a feeling that technology provides a solution, you know, for for all the reasons that you've described. Do you think those technology-based solutions can also enhance employee well-being? I mean, well-being is going to be critical on return. It's been a really big part of employers' response to the pandemic. Um, Well-being is an interesting subject when we think about um, what the workplace of the future might be. If, if a workplace is more targeted around the sort of specific needs of the working day, and if then a lot of the things that we were providing in the workplace, the, the slack is actually picked up by the urban environment, which gives those business and services a chance to recover because they're, they're not competing with those that, you know, that occur the other side of the, the revolving door, um, then well-being takes on a very different character and a very different nature. Fundamentally, we have to now make sure things are working properly like, um, and they always should have been, but we're really focused on things like fresh air and ventilation and just sort of fundamental aspects of well-being. Not the sort of sunrise yoga class and the free apples, but we're really focused on on sort of fundamental parts of the building that have to be working properly. Um, Suddenly, ventilation has become a key issue because we're talking about an airborne virus and therefore... You know, the, the potential for something similar to occur in the future, these things have to be resolved and have to be resolved quite quickly. So we have the sort of fundamental well-being things that we have to cover. And then we have to look at what the workplace will offer in relation to the role it has to play in our, in our working day and in our working lives. If we're not expecting everybody to be in nine, 10 hours, five days a week, then what we're actually doing to ensure people's well-being is very different. We're actually much more focused on supporting their, the planning of their life, much more focused on supporting them when they're not in the office, potentially as we are in the office. So it's a very different character, I think, a sort of a well-being approach in the future is, is, is going to have to evolve as well. It's not the way that we used to perceive it before the lockdown where it was about doing as much as we possibly could for people while they're in the workplace. And also one of the things we have to appreciate is that a flexible flexible environment and being able to choose when, where and how we work is not necessarily all upside. There are some ramifications of this as I related to the sort of the regularity of the other things that occur in our life. But it's also adding a lot more time and effort to plan where we need to be and where our colleagues need to be um, and at this stage, you know, we're not really sure what sort of levels of anxiety will result from that. We've been in these safe harbours, as we mentioned at the outset. We know that everybody else is working at home just as we are. Before that, we knew that everybody else was potentially sort of based in the office, just like we were. When we add a lot of uncertainty into that mix in the future, we're not sure yet how we're going to relate to that. We're not sure what impact it is going to have on us. You know, we, we need the technologies to start removing a lot of that anxiety, um, but being able, we need those technologies, therefore, to provide a fully end-to-end solution, to be able to look at our anticipated needs, to be able to sort of model where we need to be, who we need to be working with, and to be able to understand where we've been and continually evolve that through the cycle. And if we can't do that, as technology can't do it today, but it will be coming very soon, GoSpace, we're working on it right now, and it is coming Um, then there's a human um, burden to us to make sure that we can organise our time effectively and efficiently with, so we can ensure that we're working with our colleagues when we need to. So I don't think we should necessarily just say, oh yeah, flexibility is fantastic. It's all a a well-being contributor. 
if we think deeply about it and we think about the implications, there could well be some additional issues, just like there were when we first started working from home. And we said, yeah, it's fantastic. No commute. You know, we can, you know, we get all that time back. And now we're looking at the intrusion into our personal lives. We're looking at the stress from isolation. We're looking at Zoom fatigue and all the things that we hadn't really considered before the pandemic started. There will be an impact from a hybrid organization and from hybrid working that we'll need to understand and we'll need to plan for. That's really interesting. And actually, it's a perfect segue into the question I wanted to ask you, because I wanted to ask you at least one question that takes us away a little bit from the pandemic. And um, one of the things we love about your first book, The Elemental Workspace, is that you deliberately don't you don't include pictures about what the perfect workspace looks like. You break down the elements of that. You've talked about some of those in terms of fresh air and ventilation, outside space. So if you had a, a clean sheet of paper and we weren't sort of talking just in pandemic terms, what, what advice do you have for people designing a really great workspace for the future, both for employers and for the people within them? I think the sort of fundamental point here and sort of related to the book really is that sort of what what's right for you isn't necessarily right for someone else. Um, you know, there are no universal ideal workplaces. Um, in the last hundred years or so, we've invented 14 work styles. Um, we've never lost any. We've only ever added to them. And not, not one of those work styles has ever emerged as the sort of undisputed champion such that we can dispense with the rest. So we st- we are still designing a building these fourteen work styles, and and you know there, there's a there's a need for them and there's a use for them. So I was very you know keen with the book to make sure that it wasn't date stamps, it wasn't responding to design fads, you know that last two three years at the most, and then and then and then there's another one. Um, you know we we've seen from a lot of sort of photo journal type books about workplace that they they have a very short shelf life and i was trying to make sure that there was something in in the elemental workplace that was as timeless as possible um but the advice would be really keep keep focusing on those key elements um i i've i've tested it against the sort of pandemic era and i i wrote a post on it a little while ago and i've i've sort of keep i keep testing it against what i'm hearing and seeing in relation to the future workplace and i think it's still entirely valid so i'm I'm confident that it'll it'll be sort of pandemic proof as a as an offering, but you know I'd like to think that that people would still refer to it and still understand that focusing on those twelve key elements will ensure that the vast majority of what's needed from a workplace can be delivered. The, the aesthetic is the sort of the dressing on that really. You know, there's 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 no there's no sort of aesthetic guidance in there at all, and there's not intended to be because there still has to be space for designers to do their thing and, and to work on it. But it's, so it's, it's really focused on the sort of the, the, you know, the, the core components that we need within the specification, but the actual sort of design of those will be something where there's still plenty of scope for, for expression and an expression that is related to the organization concerned. And, and I think that's my, my sort of real advice in all this is, you know, be yourself. Don't, don't keep asking what everyone else is doing. Do what works for you. Understand what works for you and, and, and make it very much your workplace. Excellent advice. Um, so bringing you back to the pandemic, apologies, Neil, and a final question. It's something I've been asking all the guests on this, this podcast series. What do you personally think will be the biggest and most radical change for the future of work that we'll take forward with us from the pandemic? Um, I think it's at a very human level, really. Um, I think we might value one another and our time together rather than taking it for granted. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing every sign of that. 
are very optimistic about that. But I think one of the things we have learned is that we need one another um, and our time together is valuable. We need our company with with each other and, and that that is, is a real sort of way of enriching our lives, our personal lives and our working lives. So um, if there's one outcome that I hope for, that I am confident is going to happen, um, it's that, that we'll value one another and our time together. Thank you, Neil. That's a really a really lovely note on which to finish. I, I agree with that completely. It's absolutely how I feel about returning to work. And it's been fascinating, really uh, great to have your insight and, and your advice. If any of our listeners would like to find out more, Neil has written two books, um, the latest being Elemental Change, Making Stuff Happen When Nothing Stands Still, um, the one we've talked a little bit about in this session, The Elemental Workplace, The 12 Elements for Creating a Fantastic Workplace for Everybody. Neil is also uh, an active and brilliant Twitter user, and he can be found at at Work Essence. Thank you, Neil. Thank you very much indeed and really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you.